Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to World Talk Radio and VoiceAmericaVariety.com. You can also listen to me on my new show, which is on Thursdays tomorrow, an hour earlier, 9 to 10. Uh, I'm the host of The Social Workers. <clears throat> so if you didn't hear everything that we uh, – you didn't get a chance to hear the show today, you've got another opportunity to listen to another show about social work tomorrow, 90.9 a.m. in Albany, New York, and WCDB.com. On the net. This morning, I have two guests, Brandy Lynn Collins. She's the best-selling author of Over the Edge, and this is a book which has been described as a riveting page-turner about the current Lyme wars that pits patients against doctors. Uh, also joining us is CEO Tim Hoon from Working Solutions in Plano, Texas, and he's developed a unique brand of customer service utilizing social media. Well, I'm particularly interested in Lyme's disease because not only uh, do I have relatives and, and several friends who suffer from the disease, uh, and, I, and it's very prevalent here in, in the, on the East Coast where we are in New York and uh, the Middle Atlantic states. Apparently there are approximately 38,000 cases of Lyme disease uh, in the United States, and uh, every year there are, uh, I guess, approximately, and we're 20,000 new cases are diagnosed, and this is underreported. We have to assume this is underreported. Um, Brandy Lynn was diagnosed with Lyme disease in 2002, and she ended up writing a story, a, a fictional story, but uh, it portrays really her experience with diagnosis and treatment. She was misdiagnosed for the symptoms of the disease. And she's here to talk to us about her diagnosis, Lyme disease, her book, and how she suffered from the disease and how she has been finally cured. Welcome to the show, Brandy Lynn. Thank you for having me. So Lyme disease, um, you know, talk, I mean, uh, let's start out with your experience, your symptoms being diagnosed and what happened to you. Because I think what happened to you, unfortunately, is not unique. Well, yes. Actually, I had I was pretty fortunate in what happened to me in that because I live in California, I was able to find what's called a Lyme literate doctor pretty quickly. Friends of mine had Lyme, and when they looked at, at me and what I had, after about six or eight months of not, not knowing what I had, they sent me to a Lyme literate doctor who tested me uh, properly and did diagnose me with Lyme. So I went undiagnosed for about 
maybe six to eight months, but frankly, that's good. I know many, many people who go undiagnosed for years and go from doctor to doctor. No one knows what they have. They get worse and worse. They spend thousands of dollars, you know, in their medical care, and meanwhile, they get sicker and sicker. Well, let's define for the general public what Lyme disease is, because fortunately, not everybody has experienced it or even knows somebody who has Lyme disease, even though it is such, it's, it is a uh, disease that is, I guess, I'm going to say that there are more and more cases reported each year. I don't know if there's more cases of Lyme disease or it's just better reported. But anyway, it's a, it's a major health problem. And, uh, and I do want to tell listeners they can go to the CDC website for more information. But Lyme disease is caused by what? I mean, it's, tra- it's transmitted by the bite of a deer, deer tick. And these ticks transmit what are called spirochetes, which are spiral-shaped bacteria called Borrelia, into the body. These spirochetes tend to burrow deep into the body. They don't, they don't hang out in body fluid like, like blood, so they're harder to eradicate because the longer that they're in your body, the deeper into body tissue that they burrow, and they like... They like all the systems of the body. They can mess with any system in your body. They like heart tissue. They like brain tissue. They can really mess with all parts of your body. Randy Lynn, they are, as I understand it, there are two types of ticks, at least that I've been exposed to, the little tiny ones and the big ones. Now, the ones we're talking about, the deer ticks, are those tiny little ones, not well, those actually, big ones. Well, actually, no. Uh, actually, what you are referring to, you're correct that there are different sizes, but you're simply referring to the different um, parts of their life, sti- their, their life cycle. When they're very small in the nymph stage, they are about the size of a head of a pin. And this is their first feeding in the spring, and they're very hard to see, which is why it's, it's easy to get a tick bite and to never know that you had a tick bite. So where would you get a tick bite? Where is the most common place for getting one? I know that we have more incidences of Lyme disease here on the East Coast. Where do we pick? Where do we get the tick bite? Yes, in grasses, in tall grasses, in woodsy areas, but even in backyards, wherever deer have been hanging around. But remember, ticks migrate. Ticks can climb on the back of a bird and fall off of a bird somewhere else. So it's not like your backyard is safe simply because you don't have deer in it. Well, when you say it that way, your backyard isn't safe. It's kind of terrifying. You've got these little ticks the size of a pinhead. <laughs> There's no way to see them or detect them until they get older, and they've, I guess like human beings, they get bigger and fatter, and then you can see them. But you know, right. send kids to camp in the summertime. You do send them out in the backyard. We go walking in the woods. Exactly. How do we protect ourselves? You do need to be careful. I suggest long socks, long pants, really checking yourself over at night, running your hands up and down yourself, allowing someone else to check you. Don't, don't just think it won't happen to me, particularly in, in New York. And a lot of folks where you are probably go around into the surrounding states. Connecticut, of course, is ground zero for Lyme. In fact, uh, Lyme disease is named after Lyme, Connecticut, where it was discovered. So you definitely do need to be careful. So what are some of the symptoms? What are the symptoms? Let's say you, you've been in the woods, you, you start not feeling well. I know some of the symptoms, fever, headache, fatigue, uh, any kind of skin rash that you may be able to detect. You may have a skin rash. One of the uh, most known uh, symptoms is what's called the bull's eye rash, 
after the tick bite, sort of it looks like a bullseye you know, around the tick bite. The problem is that has grown into a myth that unless you have that rash, you do not have Lyme disease. And that is, that is not true. You do not have to see a rash from a tick bite to have, a, to have Lyme disease. Uh, it does involve joint pain. It can involve uh, uh, weakness. I had, I had a lot of weakness. My legs would just give out. I lost the inability to walk well. Uh, it, it can mess with your brain. Brain fog, the Lyme fog, is really well known among Lyme patients. You simply cannot process anymore. I can go if they, it, it depends upon where the spirochetes tend to gravitate in one particular body. If they go toward heart tissue, you might have issues with your heart. If they go toward your joints, you might have issues there, or you might have issues in all systems of your body. There are over 60, uh, 60 to 70 actual potential symptoms for Lyme. And uh, later I can send you to a website of where you can look at those symptoms. This is what makes Lyme so difficult. It's, it's a very, in a way, very nebulous disease because it presents in different patients so differently. One patient might have this set of symptoms. Another patient might have that set of symptoms. It simply isn't a, oh, gee, like a cold. You know, you know what a cold feels like. I'm coming down. I got this thing in my head. I've got a cold. Lyme can be much more nebulous than that, which is why you truly need a Lyme literate doctor to look you over and see if that's what you have. The, so the symptoms are are not this cluster, this kind of focused cluster, as you say, of other diseases where it, they're pretty similar in each patient, so easy to diagnose. Because they're amorphous, because they're kind, the symptoms are kind of all over the place, as you know. They are all over the place, yeah. and they. They are very different, though, Catherine. One, one main symptom of Lyme also is the exhaustion. And I mean exhaustion like you have never felt before. It is so tiring to breathe. If you're feeling in your body that you're just not right and things are just so strange, and if you have Lyme and your joints hurt, you, I, I hurt so badly I didn't want anybody to touch me, one day I might have my left elbow hurting worse and really bothering me more, more than anything else. Maybe the next day it was my right knee. Even in, within one body, it seems to move around. It, it drives you crazy. It makes you think you're crazy. But, Brandy Lynn, how, how long do you have to wait till these symptoms manifest themselves? Cause oh, gosh, it's very you severe. I mean, in the beginning, let's say you go outside, you go away for a weekend, you're in the woods, come back. You got bitten, but you don't know it because it's one of those little tiny pinhead ones. And then, so how long does it take for these 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 kind these uh, symptoms to manifest themselves? Is there anything you can try and hone in on that doesn't get you to the point where, when someone touches you, you're in such pain or you have such fatigue that you total exhaustion? It really depends. Some patients may present symptoms quite quickly. Other patients, uh, the spirochetes might be in them for weeks or even months before they present any symptoms at all. The joint pain and the exhaustion are probably the two symptoms that tend to come most quickly. And do they happen all at once? Because I'm thinking exhaustion, that type of exhaustion that you're describing could also be depression. It also could be... Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They, it can hit quickly. It also can hit very slowly and just build up until you realize, wow, I'm not just 
you know, this isn't just biorhythms and I'm, I'm tired. This is something that's really taking over my body. Sometimes it does take a while to understand and as the pain comes slowly. It is difficult, but if you think you're facing any of those issues, you really need to find a Lyme literate doctor. And by the way, they are not easy to find. The problem with being diagnosed with Lyme is that the tests that are the standardized tests are not very reliable. It is very often for people to get a false negative from those tests, which is the worst that could happen to you if you have Lyme, because then you rule out the disease, and then you go from doctor to doctor, oh, well, we tested for Lyme, she doesn't have that. The fact is that the CDC-recommended tests are not reliable. So there are other tests that really should be taken to make sure to rule Lyme out before you go to doctors looking for other things. Well, if we've only been aware of Lyme since 1991, is this, a new disease? Is, how did this, or is this something that we just have redefined that people suffered from this disease, but we never put had a, you know, we were never able to put a name on it? Because I know everyone's wondering, well, how, why Lyme? I mean, how, what happened in 1991? <laughs> we're going to take a short break right now. You can answer that when we come back. But uh, we're, I, my guest this morning is Brandy Lynn Collins, and she's the author of Over the Edge, and it's about her story of Lyme disease. I'm Catherine Zox your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Grow Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Social Worker with a Microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. And I'm talking to Brandy Lynn Collins. She's the best-selling author of Over the Edge, which, uh, if you're just joining us, is uh, her new book, 
described as a riveting page-turner about the current Lyme wars that pits patients against doctors. And I've been telling you all that it's her story. It's not exactly her story. It's about Lyme, and we're going to talk about that later in the show. It's about Lyme disease. Uh, But before we took the break... Brandy Lynn, I asked you, I said, you know, 1991, we have all these, start getting these diagnoses of what they call Lyme disease from Lyme, Connecticut. By the way, I'm never going to, I was going to go to Connecticut next week. I'm not sure I'm going to, <laughs> well, if I want to go now. Uh, but why 1991? What happened? Was this disease called something else before, or did people just get sick and nothing was done about it? Or, you know, give us the um, the, the history behind the disease. Well, what happened... Uh, around that time was that the spirochete itself was discovered. It was discovered by a doctor named Dr. Willie Bergdorfer, and he was looking in a microscope, and he saw this spirochete, and he thought, what in the world is that? The spirochete ended up being named after him, which is why its scientific name now, its long scientific name now is Borrelia bergdorferi, after Dr. Bergdorfer who discovered it. So it's not, of course, that Lyme never existed. It's just that we began to realize what it what it is and what it is caused by. And we also, and I don't think we mentioned this earlier, that uh, you know who's afflicted and people on the East Coast, it's more prevalent. Also, what groups in terms of demographics, male, female, children, adults, is, there's there's an age at which you are more susceptible to. Contracting Lyme disease. Lyme. Well, you know, that's something I have not heard. I don't, do not think these spirochetes are any respecter of persons. Kids get it. Adults get it. Uh, it you're more likely to get it if you're, out, if you're an outdoorsman, of course, outside, but who of us don't go outside at some point? Yeah, and I was looking at the CDC statistics statistics and it kind of goes along with what you're saying i guess younger people are diagnosed more with it perhaps because they go outside more and they go camping and they tend sure. to be in places where you would get it as opposed to the older population right um but it doesn't uh, discriminate ticks don't discriminate so all of us have to be careful uh, all right so talk to us in, about the defining moment when you realized there's something wrong with me i i don't feel well uh, and and actually took yourself to the doctor you know, it happened to me very quickly. Lyme hit me very quickly. I was a five miles a day runner and had been for, oh my goodness, over 20 years. I started to feel a little weak, like, well, maybe I'm getting a flu or something. My legs started to feel weak, but it was only a couple days, Catherine. And then I was in the kitchen. I, I stooped down to get a pan in, in, the, in a back cabinet my legs gave out, I fell down hard on my rear, and I couldn't get up. And that was my introduction to Lyme. And, in fact, that was so strong in my memory that when I wrote Over the Edge, I, I actually had that happen, happen to my character. That was her introduction to Lyme also. And from then on, it just progressed very quickly. I became crippled. Uh, I could no longer write. I lost the ability to read for a while. I could not process. As I said, I I hurt to be touched. Very difficult moving around. Um, I stuttered when I talked. Very, very difficult disease. It can simply steal your entire quality of life until you become homebound. Well, I 
I, I can't imagine having those symptoms, feeling as you're describing. I mean, those are really severe. And then, as you said, and you were lucky, eight months and you were diagnosed definitively, to go through that for that period of time emotionally, isn't, were you terrified? I mean, it would be terrifying to me. What were you thinking? Am I dying? I was terrified, but I really relied on my Christian faith. Let me tell you, I prayed a lot. I did. Yeah. It, the Psalms, I prayed the Psalms. The Psalms got me through. I just uh, clung to my faith and my Lord. I, I did not know what else to get me through. I have a wonderful family, um, and I must say that. My husband was very supportive and helped me through this also and basically became husband and wife, you know, did his work and my work, too, in the, in the household. Uh, yes, but it's terrifying. Or kind of wondering, well, is she really feeling that way? I, you know, the people that I know, my, and a, a friend of mine in particular, her, her spouse was kind of, well, are you, do you, we don't know what this is, and, and not really believing her and, right. and trying to say, well, and, and I think this is kind of common, maybe not in your case. I mean, you had a strong faith and a strong husband, but not everybody has that. Yes, and it was like, well, maybe you're just you're working too hard. You're you're you you tend to over exaggerate anyway when you get sick, and the doctor doesn't see that there's anything specifically wrong with you. So that exacerbated the symptoms, and emotionally, she felt horrific. It is so true. Lyme patients not only have to fight their battle against the disease, they have to fight for people to understand them and for the medical community to treat them when they remain undiagnosed. So they are doubly invalidated, if you will. It becomes a very difficult battle. It's bad enough to be this sick, but to be this sick and have even doctors look you in the eye and say there's nothing wrong with you, this is all in your head, what a horrible thing to have to face. And it's exactly the opposite of diseases like cancer, and then everyone rallies around you. Yes. And nobody can do enough, yes. or heart disease, or these things that are diagnosed very specifically. And you have all kinds of support, not just family support, but you have support from the community and the, your work. And in this situation, I would imagine it can be a problem with your employer also. You know, you, you have these symptoms, and they're not sure what you have, and they may think that you're, you're faking it as well. Yes, yes. It affects your whole life, and it, it is a very sad state of affairs. And a state of affairs I would like to see changed in this country as far as doctors being more understanding of what Lyme disease, understanding it more, uh, diagnosing it better, and certainly changing the standardized guidelines for treatment in this country, which the standardized guidelines basically say you can be treated for two to four weeks of antibiotics. After that, no matter what you're feeling, you're well. You're well, so we are not going to treat you anymore. That is a hard road to go when you're still really sick. Well, how do you change that? And you mentioned earlier a Lyme disease doctor. And the way that our health care system is set up, first you have to go to your primary care physician. So you're here at your primary care physician. You've listened to the show. You've read. We're going to talk about your book in a few minutes, but Brandy Lynn, uh, we've read your book. We're armed with this information. We think we have... Lyme disease, we go to our primary care physician, here's the uh, physician, they know nothing about it, and they send us home, you know, either misdiagnosed or we can get rid of this in 10 weeks and give you some antibiotics and we're done. Yeah. What do we do as consumers? 
if you think that you may have Lyme disease or someone you know may have Lyme disease, uh, the easiest thing to do is simply to, to go to my website, brandilyncollins.com, B-R-A-N-D-I-L-Y-N, collins.com, and, and click the link for Lyme disease. On there, I list the symptoms. I list many places, organizations that can help you. And some of these organizations are places you can go to online that can help you find a Lyme literate doctor. You can't go to the yellow pages and look under, you know, physicians and find a doctor that treats Lyme. Frankly, in most states, they have to stay sort of more underground because they, in treating Lyme long term as patients need to be treated, they are going against the medical standards in their state unless they're one of the states in which doctors are protected for treating Lyme long-term. And there are only four such states that do that, and New York is not one of them. Connecticut happens to be one of them next door to you. What's the politics behind this, then? I, I hear a story under here, because if there are only four states that treat you, as you say, as it's a should I say chronic disease or chronic illness? It is chronic Lyme. The problem is that nationwide chronic Lyme, that is Lyme that has been in a body, oh, say six months or longer, is denied that it exists. The medical community denies that it exists. If a patient still presents symptoms after four weeks of antibiotics, these docs tell the patient, well, either you never had Lyme in the first place, you had something else, or you now have a, an autoimmune issue that has uh, arisen because of the Lyme and it is yet undefined and undiagnosed. We don't know what this autoimmune disease is, but because it's an autoimmune disease, we can't treat you with antibiotics anymore because we insist, we doctors insist, that all the spirochetes in your body have been killed after four weeks of antibiotics. Whether you're well or not, we insist, because we know. I know it sounds crazy. I I don't know of any other disease. I mean, have you ever known someone to have pneumonia or an infection? They give them one kind of antibiotic, they give them another kind of antibiotic, symptoms don't go away, they keep treating them until they find the right kind of antibiotic. Not with Lyme. After four weeks... You are well, and those treatment guidelines are driven by a nationwide committee of docs who, are, who have decided that this is reality. And it's really unusual because usually treatment for any disease or issue is driven by a consensus of the physicians in the trenches dealing with those patients, but here it's just the opposite. So, Brandy Lynn, if we had one of those docs on the show with us, how would they defend themselves? Why this kind of, it sounds like a philosophy not really evidence-based. And so they will defend themselves. This is IDSA, by the way, I-D-S-A, Infectious Diseases Society of America. They will defend themselves by saying they have looked at this whole issue, they have looked at the studies, and they find no, quote, convincing biologic evidence that Lyme exists after four weeks of treatment. Big disclaimer word there is convincing. They can't say that they have not seen biologic evidence. They simply have put the word convincing there, which means for whatever reason, they have not been convinced. Every 
every test, every study they've looked at that proves that uh, the spirochetes live beyond four weeks of antibiotic treatment, they simply discard. They say, no, it's, it's tainted for this reason or that reason. Uh, we, don't, we don't buy it. And so they do not change their guidelines. And then these guidelines go out to all docs across the country. And they go to insurance companies who say, oh, well, standardized treatment is four weeks of antibiotics. Therefore, we don't have to pay. If you want to go longer than that, if a doc will treat you, fine. But we're not paying for it. Well, you brought up a whole, I think, can of worms. I think there's probably a whole story behind this. I always think money and politics. There's something yes. else that's kind of guiding these guidelines. Yes. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we are going to talk about Brandy Lynn Collins, her book, her new book, Over the Edge. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Michelle Kors Six Degrees is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene and is your trusted advisor from finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio, and I'm talking to Brandilyn Collins, author of Over the Edge, which has been described as a riveting page-turner about the current Lyme wars that pits patients against doctors. I think, Brandilyn, we're now ready to talk about the book because we have a whole background about this disease and diagnosis and treatment or non-treatment. Um, so you, for anybody who's just joining us, were diagnosed with Lyme disease in 2002 
And uh, the book is not specifically about your experiences. It's a fictional book. So get, talk to us about, we know why you were compelled to write the book, I think, but yes. uh, what is the main point or the theme of the book? Well, first of all, I'm a suspense author. This is my 22nd book, so of course I sat down to write a rollicking suspense. I also wanted to write a suspense around what we call the Lyme Wars, which is the battle between patients and doctors for treatment. So we have been talking about this IDSA, IDSA committee and how they, uh, how they force the guidelines across the country. My book, Over the Edge, is based on that reality, and from there I jump off into fiction. In my book, the wife of a prominent doctor who is a chairman of a nationwide committee who drives the standardized care for Lyme. This woman, Jenny, is purposely infected with Lyme by an embittered man who has lost his wife to Lyme due to lack of treatment. He infects Jenny and then he makes his demand upon her. Convince your doctor husband, who's driving these guidelines across the country to change his stance on chronic Lyme or I will infect your nine-year-old daughter next. But of course, Jenny very quickly becomes sick, very sick. She can hardly move or think. And her doctor husband, who doesn't believe there is such a thing as chronic Lyme, refuses to believe she has Lyme at all. That's the premise of the story. Catherine? I understand why your books are called Seatbelt Suspense. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is my brand, Seatbelt Suspense. It comes with a four-point brand promise, fast-paced, character-driven suspense with myriad twists and an interwoven thread of faith. That's the kind of book that I write. What was the first? I don't want to back. To, I don't want to get away from this book, but I, it's, I'm very curious as to your first book. How did you get into writing? I mean, obviously, if you've written twenty, you've been writing for quite a long time. The first mm-hmm. seatbelt suspense book. What, what uh, compelled you to write that kind of a book? Well, you know, my, Catherine, my mom is 94 years old, and she still wonders where she went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> she looks at my warped brain. And, Why are you writing these suspense books? How oh, I write suspense because. They are the highest drama. The stakes are the highest in suspense. They usually come down to the life of the, of the protagonist herself. When I can drive my character to that nth degree, to those dark places where I would never want to go, that's what makes an exciting story, and that is also what makes for a wonderful character arc, what we call the change in the character between the beginning and the end of the book, because, you know, when we're driven to dark places, we, we kind of look at the world a little differently. We may look around us and think a few things about uh, the earth and heaven that we never thought before. When you write a book like this, you're, it, is, it is fiction, and I'm putting that in quotations, but yet you are exposing yourself. People know you, people, friends, family, doctors. What's their response? Okay, you wrote this book. This is the page-turner. This is the seatbelt suspense part of that whole series. Uh, do does, do your doctors recognize themselves? Do other people who are not, <clears throat> you know, you don't paint such a great picture of in the story, do they recognize themselves and what's their response to you? Well, I must be clear that although Over the Edge is based on reality of treatment of Lyme in this country, 
every character in there is truly fictional. Uh, the doctor that treated me is not in there. Nobody is is based on any character, really. They're completely fictional characters. Um, so I am hot. very, very happy with the feedback from Over the Edge. First of all, Lyme patients who are so used to being invalidated are feel very invalidated by reading the book because they say, this is how I feel, and I can give this to my friends and family be- to show them this is what I'm dealing with. And the medical community, the Lyme community who are fighting the Lyme wars are very happy for the book because it honestly and in a suspenseful way presents their story. You know, it's one thing to write a nonfiction book about an issue, and there are some wonderful nonfiction books about Lyme disease and the Lyme wars out there. But story has a power, Catherine. Through the power of story, I can teach people things that, that they perhaps you know, weren't, didn't know they were sitting down to learn. They're just sitting down to read a suspense, to be entertained. I must first entertain them. But in the midst of the entertaining, I want them to walk away with an understanding of Lyme disease and the issues of treatment in this country. So you, you, you kind of get them where they are emotionally, and then once you, they tune in, uh, yes. and then you, obviously there's a lot of substance to the book as well. What's the reaction to, uh, from the AMA, the American Medical Association? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yet. Maybe you, better, maybe you need to do a show with me and one of those folks on it. <laughs> I think I do. If I had known, I think we needed you on with one of these doctors, either the IDSA or the AMA. And we could get I'd love to ask one personally. You know, it, it is so hard to understand how they look at the evidence that spirochetes live on after four weeks of antibiotics, and they just say, no. That that is tainted. That uh, research is tainted. That research is tainted, and so we remain unconvinced. Uh, it is very odd. I, I simply cannot explain it. Maybe it's the way medicine operates in this country, because it seems to me, even in other areas, uh, pediatrics, uh, you know, gynecology. First, they tell you that, uh, for instance, and I'm not going to go on my bandwagon, but you know, HRT is good for you and prevents heart disease and cancer. And then ten years later, they tell you that it causes heart disease. Right. Yeah. So uh, I mean, that's in one example. Or you know, with kids, I remember with my children in pediatrics, antibiotics for ear infections have to have them so that you'll prevent a viral infection. Twenty years later, absolutely do not do that. Too many antibiotics, and you get used to them, and then they won't. You won't be able to use them when you really need them. So they 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 kind of just go full circle, I guess. And in but terms the of interesting their... thing about that is they're telling you their latest information, correct? Correct. They're, they're they're telling people, okay, we have now learned this. In Lyme disease, we have not gone forward at all with these standardized treatments for years. Even when they, you know, the IDSA IDSA relooked at the, their guidelines and came up <clears throat> with an updated list of guidelines in 2006. And rather than reflecting what we've learned about Lyme disease to widen the parameters of Lyme disease and its treatment, they narrowed it even further. It even further inhibited the treatment for Lyme patients. So it's, it's like, for some reason, the doctors in the trenches who are truly seeing Lyme patients every day and are learning month to year to year about how they can be treated, that knowledge is not being incorporated into the medical knowledge at large, if you will, in this country. 
which is, a, again, it's just a very odd thing. I'm always skeptical. I wonder, do you think it has to do with, with the finances and numbers that, you know, oftentimes when there aren't millions of people who are contracting a disease or it doesn't affect huge numbers of people, uh, that they're reluctant to, to make changes or to invest money in, um, you know, changing the protocol, if, if it involves a lot of money? Do you think that has anything to do with it? I think it is part of it. I think it is a vicious cycle. The problem is that, that Lyme disease is underreported by as much as one-tenth. So if the CDC is saying in 2009 we had over 38,000 cases, we may have had 380,000 cases across the country. It's underreported because Again, many of the tests don't work well, and so you get a false negative. Uh, patients aren't diagnosed when they truly have it. Doctors don't know to diagnose it or, frankly, don't want to touch Lyme disease because it is so, uh, such a political hotbed, so they just send the patients elsewhere. So it, more cases are out there, but they're not being diagnosed because of the situation with treatment and testing. And because of the situation of treatment and testing, we don't get the dollars we need to, to study Lyme more. You see, it's sort of this vicious circle. Well, we need more people like you, obviously, writing books, getting on television, getting on radio, and getting the story out, as you say. And you're getting your story out in very different ways. You have your story story, your fictionalized your book, your series, and then also, uh, you know, in this kind of a venue, uh, talking to people and giving them information. And that's what I want to do because we only have a few minutes left. So, um, Brandy Lynn, will you... Um, Give us those websites that you mentioned earlier that listeners can go to for more information about you, about the book, and about Lyme disease. Yes, and I will say at the back of Over the Edge, after the fictional story is over, I do have an author's note, a rather lengthy author's note, that gives information about Lyme and the Lyme wars in this country. And to, to further your knowledge about Lyme, you can go to my website, which is simply my name, brandolincollins.com, and that is B R A N D. I-L-Y-N-C-O-L-L-I-N-S dot com. And there I have a link for Lyme disease, which will tell you more about the issues of both the illness and treatment in this country. And I list a lot of organizations that can help you with further information and help you find a Lyme literate doctor if you think you may have Lyme yourself. And you should be able to remember that because Lyme literate, that alliteration is very easy to remember. Yes. Lyme literate. So if you think you have it, if you have some of those symptoms that we described in the beginning, you know, take care of it and take care of it right away. Or even if you're children. I mean, if you're a parent and, you know, especially since summer's coming up and I, you know, a lot of us here on the East Coast, I, I want to mention that again, uh, really need to pay attention to it. Lyme disease, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. You were really, really informative. We appreciate it. Brandilyn Collins, author of Over the Edge. Thank you, Catherine. It was wonderful. Really enjoyed it. It was great. I did, too. Uh, coming up next is Tim Holm. He's the CEO of Working Solutions, which is a, a company uh, that he founded at, in Plano, Texas, and has developed a unique brand of customer service. I thought customer service was dead, but maybe Tim will tell us differently, hopefully. And his brand of customer service utilizes social media. We're going to see how he does that. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone on voiceamericavariety.com. World Talk Radio will be back in a minute. (laughs) 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. You've got your family and you need to keep talking and you need to keep understanding and look into yourself, who you are, what kind of person you want to be. What would be the one most simple advice you would give to a healing agoraphobic? I don't know if it's a panic attack or whatever it is. It's happening very frequently. I don't have to be in any place where there's no air. It can happen even on the road. People get over things. You can't look back. You've got to look forward and learn something from your past. Join Dr. Raymond Hamden in the psychologist chair every Tuesday at 9 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to World Talk Radio, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. My next guest is Tim Holney, CEO of Working Solutions. He's from Plano, Texas. And his company, Working Solutions, has developed a new strategy for customer service. And as I said before, I always thought customer service, or I still think, and maybe Tim can change my mind, the customer service is dead. Uh, I don't seem to get good customer service no matter what company I'm working with. I always feel that companies don't care. They just simply want to blame me for whatever the problem is. So I've got a whole list of complaints, I guess. But uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Tim. Thank you. Good morning, and it's uh, it's good to be here. Good. All right. So, with that kind of an introduction, tell us what is Working Solutions? Why is it different? How do you work? How do you deal with customer service? And I know you do it in a unique way, use, utilizing social media. So, tell us how that works. Well, first off, I'll say that you know customer service is not dead. I'll say it's changing, <laughs> right? And then we'll start from there. Okay. And, uh, and really look at it. So we do, uh, Working Solutions was founded actually by my wife uh, back in 96. So Kim founded the company. Uh, and what was unique about the offering is we leverage agents in the home. So we have a remote agent workforce of experienced, educated agents. 
So it's a little different than the uh, sending your transactions offshore where you have the labor arbitrage and everybody's feeling that they don't understand what you're talking about because there's culture or, or dialect issues. So leveraging this, this workforce uh, in the home of experienced professionals is probably the first thing we do different, which enables us to deliver uh, superior customer service. And then That's the second you, piece is yep. really – go ahead. That's a major difference because I have – I mean, I have called – I'm not going to tell all my war stories, but call up for customer service some of these big companies, phone companies, for example, and I'm talking to someone who can't even understand what I'm saying, and I have to just hang up and sort of keep on trying to get somebody, first of all, who will just understand what my complaint is to begin with, let alone handle it and do something about it. But you're saying, when you talk about these, the people that you have, your agents, as you say, that you hire, what is their background? Are they sitting in, are they, uh, Retired people who are sitting in their offices in their homes who you train to be able to handle customer service complaints for different companies? Absolutely. In fact, we do both customer service and uh, and some sales leveraging agents in the home. Uh, retirees were a large uh, growth segment of our agent community. We also have... Uh, we have People who have corporate experience, maybe three, four, five years corporate experience, maybe they sat out to raise a family and now they want to dip their toe at getting back in the workforce. And this allows them to work on their terms, right? They choose the project they work and the hours they work. And they work from home. So now with broadband and uh, or high-speed access and a computer and a phone line, we can actually have the same capabilities as a facility-based call center. So we provide all the technology to route it in the home, and, and they support our customers. How many people do you, how many, you call them agents, how many agents do you have working for you around the country? So we, we have a couple, we have an agent community of about 112,000 agents. So first off, we have a lot of agents. We've had over 1.4 million agents register to become an agent. So it's not because you have a computer and I want to work from home, are you able to just sign up and work from home? You actually have to have the experience. You have to have the skill set necessary to support whatever product or service we're representing because when you get back to customer service, it's really all about the engagement. If you have an issue with a company and, and or their product or service, you want somebody to listen, understand, and then resolve that issue the first time you call. And but that's they the also, not it. just, it would seem to me, have to have experience uh, in terms of working or in the field or understand the companies that they're talking about, what about communication skills? It would seem to me that that's number one, or that's definitely one of the number one factors that these agents would have to have. They have exceptional communication skills, and if you look at when we when we onboard an agent, there's there's testing going on from the point that they send an application in through a formal interview process, through the whole uh, agent uh, preparation and, and training where we're teaching them the company's culture, because at the end of the day, they're representing that company's brand. And in order to do so, you have to sound like you're an extension of the company. You have to you have to really sound like a professional. And take it one step further. It's a one-on-one phone conversation. There's you know no kids, no pets, zero tolerance for noise in the background. So it's not a typical call center where you might hear 200 people chattering in the background. It's a one-on-one professional phone call. Do you match up? the agent with the company, let's say an eight, uh, one person would be maybe appropriate, they have great com- communication skills, but maybe not necessarily the right kind of knowledge in the field of, of uh, you know, electronics or, you know, so that they wouldn't be representing that company, it would be something else. 
Absolutely. In fact, what we do, we have we service travel uh, and hospitality clients. We look for people with destination travel experience, and we have tech support business, and we'll find people that have uh, years of experience with technical support and troubleshooting skills. And, you know, we have uh, consumer products and services, and those people may have backgrounds in customer service in those types of industries. And that's really what we look for because, again, the knowledge is what, what creates this first call resolution. And if somebody's answering your issue or question on the first call, you're, you're pretty happy with that customer, and uh, you become a loyal customer. In fact, you're, the net promoter score for that brand, which is what a lot of companies measure now, will actually go up. So if you've had an issue and it's satisfactorily resolved, you're actually more apt to buy from that company in the future than if you never had an issue in the past. That's so true. I, I am so forgiving. If I have somebody who is kind to me and helps me resolve my problem with a particular company, I'll go back to the company. It's not that I had the problem, but it's how you resolve the problem for me. Uh, well, okay, I want to get because we're not we don't even have that much time. So I want to really get to this. I don't know if it's the second part, well, but it's the very important piece of this. How do you utilize social media to help you? to provide this customer service. So you had a perfect segue uh, into the social media because you said when you have an issue that's you know satisfactorily resolved, you tell people about that experience you had with that company. That's what's happening today. People are using social media to tweet, to post on Facebook, both their good experience as well as their bad experience. And you know, let's look at the negative experience first. If you're not getting your issues resolved and you're tweeting you know, now, what's your sphere of influence? I, I would think Catherine Zox has a massive sphere of influence, right? When she's talking, right. people are listening. And, you know, if, if you have a negative tweet out there and, and the company's not listening and they're going out and not trying to resolve your issue, you're going to be disgruntled and all those other people will hear. Now, if, if they resolve your issue and you tweet a positive experience, that's actually going to increase the brand of the company that, that you're tweeting about. So we do three things, really. We monitor and listen to these social media posts. We track and report, and we measure the sphere of influence. And then the third thing we do, which is really not being done out there, is we make it actionable. We serve it up to uh, specialists. So they're customer service specialists on our side or the company side that enable them to respond back to you. Because if you've, if you've posted that you have an issue with somebody's product or service, you would like somebody to respond, and I think if you if you tweeted it and somebody responded with the resolution, you'd probably be pretty excited. Last question: How do if somebody's listening and says this is this is a fantastic company, this is such cutting edge stuff? I, I what how, they want to come and work for you, or they may want to be an agent. Um, is there can we contact you online? Uh, Absolutely. In fact, uh, you can go to www.workingsol.com or workingsolutions.com and start the registration process. We welcome, we're always looking for great talent. Uh, we have targeted selection on the HR side, so we, uh, we welcome some of the listeners to, uh, to jump on and, and register. Tim, a delight having you on the show. Thanks so much. I love what you're doing. And next time I have a problem, <laughs> I think you. you should tweet. I'm going to tweet. And, but I want to tweet great stuff about you because this was a great interview, and, and uh, thanks so much. CEO Tim Holney, author, uh, uh, CEO of Working Solutions in Plano, Texas. Thank Have a you, great Catherine. day. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Hope you enjoyed the morning. Have a good week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. 
We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at 